Good morning. If I could introduce to you our new series. For the next four months, we're going to be studying the book of Nehemiah. So if you're a guest, this is the perfect Sunday to begin attending Palm Vista Community Church. We're going to study the book of Nehemiah. So please turn in your Bibles to that book. You may ask, well, where is that book? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little instruction. Nehemiah is the 16th book of the Old Testament. There. That's enough, right? All right. Here's what you do. You go to the first third of your Bible. The first third of your Bible, the Old Testament. Look for the book of Chronicles. Now, there's a lot of chapters in the Chronicles because there's two books, First and Second Chronicles. So when you find Chronicles, you want to make a right-hand turn. And the very next book is a book called Ezra and then Nehemiah. Ezra and then Nehemiah. So it's probably in the first third of your Bibles. The book of Ezra, and you can place a bookmark there. You can start reading it. And while you're turning there, I want to uh, encourage you to purchase a good... I want you to build a library. I want you to purchase a good commentary. Now, there are some commentaries you can spend a lot of money on. Very, very expensive. Uh, This one, I think, is a good one. Derek Kidner is an excellent scholar, a man that we would trust his scholarship. And it's, it's entitled Ezra and Nehemiah. Why? Because in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, many theologians, Hebrew, Jewish theologians, considered these two books one book. Okay? For, for, for many years, they were one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to discover why as we preach through the book of Nehemiah. But it's Ezra and Nehemiah, and it's the Tyndale Old Testament commentaries. I think we have a few of these on a book table, and if you want one, we can order it for you. But I would encourage you to get this commentary. Very, very helpful for you and for me. All right, Ezra, excuse me, Nehemiah. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray for your grace to enable me to speak your word the way you want it spoken. And I ask for your grace to enable my friends to hear it. Lord, that that you you would enable them to focus, putting aside distractions, putting aside worries. Lord, would you create here an environment where we can hear you, your voice, through your man, Nehemiah. Lord, help us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read now together the text. So, Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Nehemiah 1, 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Let me set for you the context of the book of Nehemiah. Let me talk to you about the big story so that we can fit Nehemiah in the big story. 
Because most of us are not Jewish, nor do we come from a Jewish background. So let me set the scene for you. God, in his mercy, decided to save us before time began. But initiated that process most specifically and most identifiably through a man called Abraham. He did it in about 2000 BC. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to make you a great nation, Israel. And from you, I'm going to raise up a savior. And this savior will be the one who is the hope of all mankind. This is how he said it. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations through your seed or your offspring. 2000 BC. And what we have, by the way, that's chapter 12 of the first book of this Bible, Genesis. And what we have going all the way through the Old Testament is the, is the question, will God be able to fulfill his promise to bless the nations through the seed of Abraham? So 2000 BC, we pick up the story, Genesis 12, and all through the books of the Bible, the question is, here's God, here's his promise, here are God's people, is God going to be faithful to his promise, will his people be faithful to God? So the, all, the Old Testament is a story of God's faithfulness and holiness, and unfortunately, his people's unfaithfulness and sinfulness. That's the story of the Old Testament. So from 2000 BC all the way to Nehemiah, which was written in 400 BC, 1600 years, we follow this story. That's right. Nehemiah is probably the last book written in the Old Testament. After Nehemiah, there's silence. There's 400 years of silence until the coming of Jesus who will be the promised seed from Abraham, from Israel. And he will be our savior. But Nehemiah didn't know that. All Nehemiah knew was that for 1,600 years, as a good Jew, he had studied the scriptures, and he knew that God was going to bring forth a savior from the seed of Abraham from Israel. Now here's the problem. Nehemiah finds himself in the year 400, Nowhere near the promised land. Nowhere near the people of God. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah finds himself an exile in modern-day Iraq, serving a pagan king. And he, he is wondering, now, God, are you going to fulfill your promise? Is this going to happen? Will you be able to bring forth your Savior from your people? See, the reason Nehemiah is in Susa, which is the winter capital of the Persian Empire that's ruling the world at that time, the reason he's there, modern-day Iraq, and not in Israel, in Jerusalem, is because 140 years earlier, stay with me, 140 years earlier, he's writing, he's, this is talking about 445 B.C. It was actually written in 400 B.C., but This story takes place about 445 B.C. About 140 years earlier, in 586 B.C., God judged his people because of their unfaithfulness. And he allowed 
a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar to come from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and invade Israel, and catch this, destroy the city of God, destroy its walls, and destroy the temple of God, the place where God dwelt. So it's been 140 years. The city of God is in disrepair. The temple of God is destroyed. So Nehemiah, 445 BC, is seeing that, and he's thinking, is this going to happen? Is the promise of God going to be fulfilled? What about the people of God? Now, about maybe 40 years prior to this book, to Nehemiah, God starts sending back from modern-day Iraq, back to Israel, the Jews who had been taken in exile in 586 B.C. And the book of Ezra, remember I told you these books were seen as together? The book of Ezra talks about the first and second wave of exiles that go back to Israel. And what, what Ezra tells us is that they were able to rebuild the temple. So in Nehemiah's time, you've got a rebuilt temple, which is very important because that's where God's presence is. But you have a city whose walls are broken down. So the book of Nehemiah is a story of God's faithfulness and holiness in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Why? So that God's people, Israel, in God's place, Jerusalem, could fulfill God's plan to bless the nations through Abraham and his seed. God's people, God's place, God's plan. So Nehemiah, this entire book, is going to be focused on rebuilding the wall and rebuilding God's people. Because, see, you have to understand this. When Israel went into exile, uh, the, the land of Israel was populated by pagans. Now, 140 years later, a bunch of the Jews have gone back, but it's been several generations, and they've been intermarrying with the pagan people so that the people of God are indistinguishable from the pagans around them. The very witness that Israel was to provide to the nations of a God, monotheistic, one God, who will bring a Savior, the Messiah, is being lost. Not to mention, the city is in danger because it has no walls. So that's the situation of Nehemiah. It's about God rebuilding his city, his people, to fulfill his plan. And as the book opens up, we see God's people in terrible, terrible trouble. Now let me pause for a moment. Doesn't this describe us? Because today, we're the people of God. And no longer do we meet with God in a temple. Jesus said, no, when I come, you're going to meet with God in me. So no longer does God dwell a physical temple. He now dwells many, many human temples. Us, by his spirit. But how many of you know that many of us are like Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time? Our walls are broken down. Our gates are burned with fire. And though we're the people of God, we feel defenseless. And we feel like we have been compromised with the pagan nations around us. And God's plan is in jeopardy. Because God's people are broken down. And God's place is in disrepair. So, so for, for the next four months, we're going to be talking about God rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our walls, 
not just so we can have a great life, but so we can then fulfill God's plan to bless the nations because God's plan to bless the nations was fulfilled in Jesus. And he is the one who lives in us. Now, look at verse 4 of Nehemiah 1. In fact, let's read verses 1 to 4 again just to get the flavor now that you have the background. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital. Remember, he's a Jew. It's the 20th year. The reason we know it's 445 BC because it's the 20th year of the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. So the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign is 445 BC. He's in Susa, which is the winter capital. It's it's near modern-day Baghdad, not too far away. That Hananiah, one of my brothers, probably probably Nehemiah's blood brother, came with certain men from Judah. So they, they came back from Israel, made the long trip back from Israel. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So he says, how are the Jews who went back? How are they doing? What's the city look like? And they said to me, the remnant there. Now remember, the remnant's very important. These are the people through whom God's going to bring a savior. It's 445 B.C. We know now he won't appear for another 445 years. Nehemiah didn't know that. He's thinking it could be any day. The remnant there in the province, the province being Judea, where Jerusalem is, southern Israel. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed. Now, by fire. Now, catch this, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, by the way, the first part of this book of Nehemiah, it reads like a, like a journal. Think of Nehemiah having his own, you know, some of you journal, you have a diary, you know, maybe memoirs. So the first part of this book are really Nehemiah's journal notes. We're catching a very personal uh, uh, account of this. So catch what he says, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. For days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah cared deeply about the Jews... God's people, and about Jerusalem, God's place. Here's my question for you. What do you care about? What do you invest the best you have in? Where where do you bring your A game? What are you really excited about? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your treasures? Where do you spend your talent? Where do you really, where where do you take your talent? You know, when LeBron James came here to play basketball for the Heat, remember how he announced it? I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Where do you take your talents? Where or with whom do you invest yourself fully, 100%, no holding back, no slacking? That is what you really care about. And this book, this book is, 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 a, is a letter to us that God says, I care, the Lord cares. I don't know if you know this, but Nehemiah, that name, it means the Lord comforts or cares. So Nehemiah's very name is the Lord comforts. Yeah, my people are in exile. Yeah, the city's walls are burned down. Yeah, the temple just got rebuilt, but we're under, pro- we're under difficulties. But I care. God says, I care about my people I care about my place, and more importantly, I care about my plan. And Nehemiah, then, is a picture of one of God's followers who says, I care too. I care so much that I'm going to weep 
for days because of this bad report. Do you care? What do you care about? Where do you invest the best that you have to bring? There's a term. Where do you bring your A-game? You know what I mean? That's the question God has for you. Because his call on you is to care. Care for God's people. Care for God's place. And care for God's plan. And do it with all you have. Sell out. That's what this message is about. Because that is what God wants. Now, the first point. How do I care for God's people? Well, we care for God's people by asking how they are doing and then serving them. Ask how they are doing and then serving them. That's what we find Nehemiah doing. When his buddies come from Jerusalem, Hanani. By the way, do you know what the name Hanani means? The Lord is gracious. Actually, Hanani is an abbreviation for Hananiah. So Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. Do you see the message? God says, I've been gracious to you. I've comforted you. I care. I care for you. So I want you to care. I want you to care for my people, my place, and my plan. So when Hananiah comes with his buddies from Jerusalem, what's the first thing that that Nehemiah does to show that he cares about God's people? He says, how are they doing? Do you see that? Verse 2b, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile. That's just talking about the Jews who escaped from Iraq and went back to Jerusalem. Because it was a great shame for a Jew to be in exile in Iraq. It was a great shame for them to be in exile away from Jerusalem. And it was a great privilege to be going back. And he says, how are they doing? Are they blessed? Now listen, understand this. It's been 140 years since the Jews have been in exile in, uh, uh, in Iraq. First Babylon ruled, and now Persia. And obviously, Nehemiah grew up in exile. His parents probably grew up in exile. And obviously, Nehemiah has got enough game that he is a top, he's a top government official. He's in Susa. You're going to find out this in the next couple of weeks. He's in Susa because he's got a high-level job in the Persian government. He's like an advisor to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. Like, dude gets FaceTime with the most powerful man on earth. Don't get too excited. (laughs) But what does he care about? What moves him to weep and cry for days? A bunch of ragtag people, two time zones away in a broken down city called Jerusalem because he believes that God's plan is going to happen through God's people and God's place. And he's concerned about it. He cares about it. Do you care about God's people, God's place, and God's plan? See, that's the point here. When he asks how they're doing, Hanani, whose name means the Lord is gracious, gives a not-so-gracious response They are in great trouble, not just medium trouble, not just a little trouble. No, I didn't just lose my job. I lost my job. I lost my house. And Hurricane Wilma just hit. We have no electricity for 10 days. The stock market crashed. My car blew up. And my dog died. Yes. We're talking some serious trouble here. And they're in shame. 
Nehemiah's thinking, well, how can you guys be in shame? You're in Jerusalem. Let me tell you why they're in shame. Another little history lesson. If you look at the Middle East, you've got Jerusalem, got the Mediterranean Sea, Israel, and you come around, and here's Iraq. You've got the Tigris and Euphrates, the Persian Gulf. He's over here, where our troops just left. Again, a long journey from here. And, and, and this place, Jerusalem, is totally overrun by half-breeds. I don't know if you remember when Jesus was preaching, he went through a place called Samaria, Samaria and he talked to some Samaritans. Well, the Samaritans were in competition because the Samaritans were composed of the ten tribes of Israel that were taken away in exile in the 700s B.C. There were two tribes that were left in the south, Judah and Benjamin. Now remember, the promised Savior would come from Judah. Okay? So the Samaritans loved it when they saw Jerusalem burn. They loved it when they saw the temple was destroyed because they had their own place of worshiping God. Now they were idolaters, and God, God said, I'm done with you guys. But they loved it. Therefore, they didn't love it when all of a sudden they looked out the window one day and they saw this long line of, of Jews from Judea coming back into the city. And all of a sudden they, they saw the floodlights on at night and they heard the saws going, and they saw the temple being built. And they're going, what? You're rebuilding that temple? So if you read the book of Ezra, they fought, they intimidated, they tried to stop the temple from being built. Just like in your life, there are enemies that want to stop you from growing to be a Christian and growing to be a godly man or woman of, of God. And they tried every way they could, but the book of Ezra, you know what it tells us? God is greater than those enemies because the temple got built. Because God said, that's my plan. But now, over 40 years later, we got another problem. These same Samaritans who harassed the first wave of exiles coming back, harassed the second wave of exiles coming back, are now harassing the third wave of exiles coming back in 445 B.C. Because basically, God's people, you couldn't survive back then in a city that didn't have walls. So what's good, what, what good is it to have a temple rebuilt with no walls to defend the temple so any enemy can come in and defeat you? That's why Nehemiah cried. That's why he said, we've got to get there. And God cares. And Nehemiah cares. Listen, imagine this. Nehemiah was motivated by the promise of a Savior, the promise of a blessing to the nations, and he cared deeply. Friends, we are motivated by the Savior that has come. We have experienced the good that Nehemiah was hoping for. We have the blessing of this Savior. How much more should we be motivated to care deeply for God's people? God's people, they're sitting right next to you. God's people, just like Nehemiah said, how are my brothers doing? I believe God is commanding us this morning to say, how are you doing this morning? When this service is over, we walk out and say, how's it going? If you notice that someone's not here, you give them a call and says, hey man, are you okay? If someone is in need, we're there to help them with spiritual help, with physical help. God's people. God wants us to reach out to God's people because God reached out to us. We're still on the first point. First point is, how? You care for God's people. You do it the way Nehemiah did it. You ask how they're doing, and you serve them. 
You see, God served us. God, God came. The promise that Nehemiah had wasn't fulfilled to 400 BC. But, oh, friend, it was fulfilled. And, and, and it wasn't fulfilled until the coming of Christ. And this was 400 years later. But we have experienced that fulfillment. God, Nehemiah, the Lord comforts. God has comforted us. God has comforted us in Christ. Jot this scripture down. Great passage. May this motivate you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says the following. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies. Think of Hananiah. Think of his name. The, God, the Lord is gracious. The God of mercies and God of all comfort. Think of Nehemiah. The Lord comforts. See Hananiah and Nehemiah in this passage. This is what they were prophesying. This is what they were hoping for. And we have it. It's been revealed in Christ. The Lord comforts in Jesus Christ. The Lord is merciful in Jesus Christ. So we can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now look at this, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 1. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what does Nehemiah teach us? It teaches us you got to care. Because God cares. you got to care for others because God first cared for you. You need to comfort others with the comfort with which God, who is the Lord who comforts, has comforted you. It's our responsibility. It's our joy. It's our privilege. If Nehemiah did it with simply the hope of the redemption that Christ would bring, how much more should we do it? with the reality of the redemption Christ has brought. Next. How how do we do that? Well, here's a little suggestion. Wednesday night fellowship. I'm just it's just a suggestion for you to get started. Why not ask your home group leader and fellow members how they're doing? How you can serve them. We are our brothers keeper. Let's care about imaging Christ. In other words, becoming like Christ. In other words, as a group, showing the world Christ. In other words, fulfilling God's plan that says, hey, God's people are going to be in God's place. Today, we're God's people. Today, God's place is the church. And so that, that God's plan would be fulfilled, which is to be a blessing to the nations. We know now that that blessing comes through Christ. And the way we image Christ is not individually. It's corporately. It's the, the world seeing us care for one another. And saying, whoa, who is this? And we say, it's Jesus, the hope of the nations. We are called to care and care deeply about God's people. What is the visible, tangible evidence that you care about God's people? Do you bring your A game to home group? Do you bring your A game to your care for others? Second point, we care for God's place by asking how the church is doing and serving it. Again, back to the scriptures. When Nehemiah asked them, hey, how are the Jews doing? He didn't just say, how are the Jews doing who survived the exile, but at the end of verse 2, and concerning Jerusalem, God's place. And they said to them, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, here's the deal. It's hard to separate God's people from God's place, because God's people are God's place. Got that one? Okay. 
Because in the Old Testament, God's people went to God's place to worship God, a physical temple. Jesus comes and says, hey, you destroy that temple, I'll raise it in three days. What? You're going to rebuild that in three days? Man, back in in uh, 512 BC, it took us like a year. Jesus wasn't talking about that temple. He's talking about his body. Because he's saying, no longer will you meet God there, you're going to meet God in me. Then he dies. This is the gospel. He dies for your sin and mine. He raises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. So today, where do we meet with God? When two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. We don't meet with him in a certain building. Aren't you glad for that? You can meet with him in an auditorium of a middle school. Because he dwells in us, no longer in the building. So it's hard to separate God's people from God's place, but I'm going to try here. Because he did ask, how's Jerusalem? And I do think that 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 question is important. Let me tell you why. Because the church, though it's made up of people, is still the place of God, and the church is important. And that doctrine, the doctrine of the church, is under attack today. Because we're all so individualistic. I really don't want to care about you. You know what I want? I want a Christianity where God, the all-powerful, cares about me. And blesses me. And solves all my problems. And gets rid of all my neuroses. And, and makes me happy. I really don't want to care about you, man. Okay? <laughs> Can I just be the center of God's universe? God's redemptive universe? No, you can't be. And if you think you are, that is not Christianity. That's me It's not biblical. So, God calls us to care about the church. And it costs us. <laughs> it costs us, doesn't it? It costs Nehemiah. You're going to find out in this book that, that dude who had the best job you could have, right-hand man, FaceTime with the king, cupbearer of the king, comfortable in Susa, the Winter Palace. Look, I don't know about Winter Palaces. I can only imagine Winter Palace is the place to be, okay? All right. It's probably in the Caribbean somewhere. You're getting a lot of adult beverages in the afternoon. And you're probably not doing your own laundry, okay? So he's going to go from Winter Palace, secure with the king of Persia. He's going to go to a broken down city and risk his neck because he knows it's not about me. It's about God's place. Because it's in God's place that God's people will fulfill fulfill God's plan. So thank you for being here this morning in a semi-air-conditioned auditorium listening to me scream at you. But it's a good place, guys. It's the place where God's working his plan. God's working his plan. Let me ask you this question. Are you bringing your A game to church? Are you taking your talents to South Beach? Now, we're not South Beach, but we're close. Or do you leave your A game at work? Do you leave your A game for Saturdays with the, with the guys? Now, now listen, you, bring your A game there. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I want you to work hard. I want you to have wonderful. But, but when you come here, do you just kind of go into C game, B game mode? Hey, this is Pino's deal, you know. I'll just come here and get blessed. That is not a biblical mentality. That is not what Nehemiah, that's not, that's not the mentality of a guy that weeps and cries for days. 
So are we bringing our A game? Suggestion in your notes, if you have notes. Sunday morning worship. Ask how the ministry teams are doing and how you can serve the church through one of them. I list many. Did you know that in our children's ministry, listen, catch this. You know how many people it takes to man our children's ministry? Seventy. Seventy. Yeah. We need a lot of Nehemiahs to say, I'll go. I'll leave Susa, the capital city, and the, the comfort of there, and I'll go, I'll go back there with kids throwing up on me and, you know, running around like crazy people. I'll miss the sermon for a while. I'll do the worship. Thank you for the worship team. I don't know where you guys are, but I know Mindy's out today. Whoever did it, did you guys do it today? Okay, thank you, Ricky. Zeke, I know you're around here somewhere. Is that you back there? No, I don't know, wherever you are. Thank you. Okay. You know the setup team? I, I get here early in the morning. I see my man Hector, you know, gets here at 8 o'clock in the morning. He's got a family, pulls up, gets out of his car, stumbles in. <laughs> now, he was looking good, actually. I was stumbling in. Uh, do you know how many people it takes to set this place up, to try to transform this building from a middle school to something that would just be welcoming to people? There's so many other ministries. I, I could list them all. Listen, there are ministries that aren't listed here. Uh, I know my friends, the Georges, with, uh, with CBC, Children Battling Cancer. I know many of you. Many of you do things that I'm not aware of, but it's a ministry. I think over at Mario's house, they try to beat each other up once a month with a little, was it Taekwondo or what, what is it? What is it you guys do? Huh? Aikido, there it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, but, but you know what? You know what? Listen to me. Catch this, guys. That's a ministry. Because you know what? You can invite folks to come with you, especially violent folks that want to beat people up. And then, then when they see that Christians can like, beat each other up with a, good, with a good attitude, you can share the gospel. Do you see where I'm going with this? This is building the church, both with ministries here and with what God puts in your heart. So let's care about worshiping God corporately. And finally, we care about God's people by asking how they are and serving them. We care about God's place by asking, how's the church doing? Where am I needed in the church? And even where can I bring my A-game, talents, creativity? Some of you are great at reaching out, marketing. We need that. Graphics. We've got, oh, we've got a web team, guys. Wait till you see this website. Volunteer work. Hundreds and hundreds of hours. Fabian, I know for sure. And um, um, Nathan, thank you. And others, my daughter. And I, if I forget you, I'm sorry. But bringing their A-game free to rebuild the city. And then the third one, we care, we care for God's plan, God's people, God's place, God's plan by praying and participating in its fulfillment. Oh, friends, we need to pray and participate in its fulfillment. When you read the book of Nehemiah, you know what you're going to find out? Nehemiah is a go-getter. Nehemiah is a man of action. So it's amazing that the first thing he does when he hears that the city's in trouble and the walls are broken down is this. He says, I need to pray. He says, I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to ask God. Listen, guys, the bottom line, when Nehemiah heard that the walls were still down, the bottom line was this. God's people were in trouble. The promise was in danger. The walls of the city were broken down. The temple was vulnerable to the enemy, destruction, because no proper defense against the enemy could be made without a defensive wall. And after 140 years, Jerusalem and its inhabitants, the Jews, were still easy game for any enemy who wanted to attack them. But what does Nehemiah do? He prays for days. So I think it begins with prayer. 
I think our care for God's plan. See, Nehemiah knew the plan. Messiah, blessing to the nation is going to come through Israel. But he prayed. He says, I need to seek God. I need to find out what God's mind is. Friend, the fact that he prayed for days, weeping and crying, it demonstrates how fully involved Nehemiah was in caring for God's people, place, and plan. How fully involved are you? in caring for God's people, place, and plan. We all drift, don't we? We're a church of fully involved people. But sometimes we get a little less fully involved than others. Nehemiah understood the implications, and he began to pray and pray and pray. Today, the plan that Nehemiah saw as a glimmer in the future is the plan that we see in reality in the past. The plan is Jesus. And if you're new this morning, the plan is that Jesus would come of the seed of Abraham from the tribe of Judah. And he would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and his miraculous birth and his death for our sins and his resurrection for our forgiveness. That's the plan. We need to be committed to that plan. Do you feel the care, the passion for God's plan of salvation to bless the nations through Christ? Would you pray as Nehemiah prayed? And in your notes, I just write down here, daily evangelism and mercy ministry opportunities. I mentioned a few mercy ministry opportunities. Jeannie Pernia is here with Heartbeat of Miami. You've got children battling cancer. I know that David Behar has a real desire to reach out to those that are poor and and homeless and, and, and and are distraught. There are so many opportunities. We need to pray. You know who else we need to pray for? We need to pray for God's people that aren't yet saved. Now, Jose did a great job last week preaching about this. God has his people, but some of them, for the moment, are fast bound in the chains of sin, but due for release at the appointed moment. What moment is that? The moment that a mighty renewing of their hearts takes place as the light of the gospel, Jesus, shines into their hearts. We've got the flashlights. We've got to shine that light into their hearts. We've got to be committed to that plan. The light of the gospel shines into their darkness, and the Savior then, not us, the Savior, draws them to himself. So, folks, we've got to pray. We've got to make prayer lists. We're going to be doing that. We're going to talk about that next week. We want to solicit a prayer list from you so that the pastors can agree with you in prayer. Who can I be praying for? Who can I serve that's God's people that are not yet saved? How can I serve this city? How's Miami doing? What are the needs of this city? How can we serve the city? Because we're the people of God. And when we are, where we are, it is God's city. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. How can we care? Folks, let's care about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. Friend, do you bring your A game to God's plan? Do you bring him the best or just the rest? We are motivated to care because God cared for us. That's the story. That's the story. This passage is about caring for God's people. This passage is about caring for God's place. This passage is about caring for God's plan. So God is asking each of us, do you care about my people? Do you care about my place? Do you care about my plan? Does it show in in what you think about? What do you think about all the time? You know, apart from Christ, we think about ourselves all the time. 
But Christ changes us. We begin to think about him and his plan. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? What really gives you joy? Where do you bring your talents? And I mean your A-game talents. Do you give yourself most passionately and fully to God by giving yourself most passionately and fully to his people, his place, and his plan? Friend, God is calling us to care about the state of God's people, the state of the church. Listen, God has sought our welfare in Christ. We're to seek the welfare of God's people, God's place, and God's plan. I'd like to, I'd like to lead us in a moment right now to consider the Lord who comforts, to consider the Lord who is gracious, to look at God's care for us. I I want us all to experience the comfort of God so that we can leave here not much more, not more aware of what we need to do, but what God has done. Because as we are comforted, as we see his care, as we see his plan, and we're committed to his plan, that plan, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, so motivates us that we are on fire to see it accomplished, like Nehemiah. We're motivated from within by deep gratitude for God's care to care for others. That's my prayer. And to that end, I'd like to lead us in communion. So without losing our focus here, I'd like the ushers to simply, quietly get up and take your stations and get ready to serve us. And church, I would like us to remember this, that communion is the tangible expression of the promise of God to bless the nations through the seed of Abraham. We are celebrating right now God's plan to care for us, and not just us, but others, and to use us to express that care to others. For all of us, my friends, prior to Christ caring for us and comforting us and saving us and changing us, all we cared about was ourselves. Listen to me. Prior to Christ, the only reason you would find me weeping and crying for days is when I didn't get what I wanted. It's called called a temper tantrum. But when Christ saved me, I begin to weep and care about something bigger than me and my agenda and my comfort. I begin to weep and care about God's people, God's place, God's plan. Listen, we know, we know this, okay? Nehemiah ends up securing the city. He ends up building the walls, and it's going to be a great story we're going to, we're going to read here. He ends up, it ends up happening. God is faithful, not Nehemiah, God. And Messiah is then born 400 years later in that area. He's born in Bethlehem just south of Jerusalem. And he dies on a cross, as Jason preached so wonderfully from Psalm 121, on a hill outside of the city. Now we, we we whose gates have been burned by fire, whose lives have been burned, the gates of our lives have been burned by sin. We who have experienced the comfort of God, we who have experienced the care of God, we're going to rise up now. And we're going to care for others. Dear friends, if, if you don't know this life-transforming care of God in Christ, then I, I pray right now that God would reveal it to you in this message. Or maybe through the friends that brought you. Or if you're here by yourself, come talk to me afterwards. You could be one of those people who are God's, God's people, you just don't know it yet. And God's going to open your eyes. And your life is burned down, and your walls are burned, and your gates are burned, and you're a mess. But God's saying, look up.
I'm the God of comfort. I'm the one who initiated the plan of salvation. It's Jesus who died on that cross to bless the nations. It's Jesus who was born a perfect baby without sin to bless the nations. It was Jesus who lived a life of obedience that you and I could never live, but that God requires to bless the nations. It was Jesus who died on that cross to bless the nations. It was Jesus who who rose from the dead to bless the nations. It was Jesus who ascended into heaven to bless the nations. It was Jesus who, with the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us right now to bless the nations, to bless us so that we can then turn around And be part of blessing the nations. We're about to receive communion. It really is only for those. Who are God's people. But like I said. You may be here. And you're God's people. You don't know it yet. I want to pray for you in just a moment. Ushers, why don't you go ahead and come on down. Let me just remind you of this. I'm speaking to you unbeliever. This morning. Whether you've been in this church all your life. And you're a youth whether you're a guest today, whether you might be an unbeliever and just kind of faking it all this time. Here's the good news. The elect of God, and I'm choosing to believe because you're here, that's you, are God's people who for the moment are fast bound on the chains of sin. Which one of us aren't fast bound on the chains of sin? But I'm talking now eternally, damned by the sin. But due for release at the, appropriate, at the appointed moment through a mighty renewing of their hearts as the light of the gospel shines into their darkness and the Savior draws them to the self. I'm shining the light of the gospel as best I can into your hearts. I trust the Savior to draw you. Dear Christian, dear Christian, if you feel like Jerusalem, your walls are down and your gates are burned, sin has made your life a mess. There's hope. There's a Savior who sends Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a picture of Christ to come into your city and rebuild the walls and give you hope that God will fulfill. God will fulfill His plan to use you, people of God, in God's place to accomplish God's plan. He will. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to pray for my friends this morning. Some I I barely know. Others I know very well. There's there's a few here that I've never seen before. But I I offer a friendly hand of welcome, your hand, Father, to say if you're here and you're hearing my voice and the light of the gospel is shining into your heart, may Christ draw you. And if he is drawing you, friend, oh, 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 don't resist. Run to him. Receive his care his comfort, salvation, so that you might then care for his people and place and plan. And and dear Christian, I pray for you. Lord, bless my friends this morning who are struggling with sin, who feel burned up, knocked down. Some aren't here this morning because of that. Lord, I pray this prayer reaches out to them right now. I'm like Nehemiah. I'm crying out to you, Lord. Rebuild your city, which is your people. The walls made up of, of not mortar and stone concrete but of living stones people bless my friends right now that I'm thinking about Lord reach out to them draw them rebuild them oh God I pray in Jesus name